All right, we're going to get started because we got plenty to cover, just like normal, every, every, every Wednesday. So we got a lot of stuff here. We are on section studies 9 and 10, and so we're going to be talking about the Word of God, uh, praise and worship and prayer. So y'all enjoying going through the, the work and getting all these all this scripture in you and it's been good, huh? Having homework again. You're like, what? Homework. I haven't had that in a lot of years, right? <laughs> so this is this is an exciting section. I'm gonna pray and then we'll we'll just dive dive right in. Um, Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you've given us the Word of God. We thank you for your gift to us that you've chosen to reveal yourself. Lord, you didn't want to stay hidden. Uh, you wanted to make yourself known. Lord, so you've, you've given us ways to, to get to know you. And so we, we thank you, Lord, that we want to use what you have given us to get to know you better. And so we just thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. We welcome you to speak to us as we, as we read the Scriptures speak to us as we as we hear from you god and uh we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts establishing foundations things that will allow us not to be shaken in our lives in jesus name amen, amen. all right well i'm going to start with um just kind of referencing the book and i know you've you may have already read this if you didn't do your homework you haven't read it but man this first section in uh study nine that just talks about the bible uh that's not a thing they, they talk about a lot in church. You do it in Bible college, but I really appreciate this being in here. Um, if you notice that, um, I, think it's, I think it's huge to understand that um, compared to other historical books, there is thousands of times more evidence that the Bible uh, is correct than the other ones. You'll notice there it talks about you know, Plato. We've all heard of Plato in school. Uh, we have seven manuscripts from Plato, and the and the and the oldest one we have was 1,200 years after he died. I mean, you you won't find anybody's oh Plato, yeah. I mean, he's on you know movies and stuff and all kinds of stuff. You know, we talk about him and he's just a fact, right? Seven manuscripts. You know, you got. Homer's Iliad, which is a very famous book, it's got 643, but the, the oldest one is 500 years after he died. I mean, we don't know, hey, did, was that what he really wrote? Did people change it? 500 years, that's a long time. Go back 500 years, there's no United States. It's a long time. Uh, Julius Caesar, you got, you got some other ones there. You, I mean, you get the picture. And here's the deal. Here's the New Testament. The New Testament, we have 24,000 manuscripts, 24,000, and the oldest one is only 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Not 500 years, not 1,000, not 600, not even 100, 25 years, uh, you know, it breaks, and it kind of breaks all of that down. And so here's the deal, the Bible, the Bible is extremely accurate, and you can be sure that the Bible we have today is, is the Word of God. And so, uh, did you also find it fascinating, if you read that, it, 
you know, the history that there's always been a war on the Word of God. You know, there's always been a, a, some kind of, of, of way that is, that is being worked, of course, by the enemy, by the devil himself, influencing people to, to keep the Word of God away from people. Because what happens when you, when you read the, the Word of God is that light shines in you, revelation comes, truth comes out. Uh, I love the story, you know, I didn't even remember this fact, but it talks about all the people that died in the, the Reformation uh, as they were trying to get the word out, the first book printed on the printing press was the Bible. But that was a controversial deal. And there was people giving their lives to see that the word of God was printed and given to the common man and woman. And here's the deal. I love this line in here. I don't know where it was somewhere. But it said, you know, a lot of people didn't read back then. But once they found out the Bible was being printed, they learned to read so they could read the word of God. And so, man, what a gift we have. Now we've got, you can go and get a hundred different translations. I can get it on my phone. I can get it on my iPad. I can, I can listen to it in my, in my vehicle. Uh, I can get paintings and have scriptures on my house. I mean, there's, we have so much. We just need to make sure we're using the blessing that we have. You know, I didn't, I didn't learn to read so I could read God's word. I already knew how to read. And so to me, that kind of hunger and desire is, is, some, is something special. Um, a couple other things before we read the first scripture is, is this. Um, as you are doing your studying, or if you haven't done it yet, you've still got time. You've got later tonight, tomorrow, and the next day. Um, <clears throat> is There's a lot of uh, different words that used in the Bible that refer to the Word of God. There's sometimes it says Word of God. Another word is sometimes in the Old Testament, you'll notice in the book of Psalms, it uses the word law. Yeah, and that's talking about the written Word of God. Um, uh, it says Scripture in there. It says Word. Uh, sometimes it'll be talking about the promises of God, and it's really talking about the Word of God, the, the things written, God has written down. And so all through this study, you'll, you'll see Scriptures, and it'll be using different language um, to refer to God's Word. But all of it is the same. It's referring to the uh, written Word of God. And so I want us to read two scriptures. They're the ones we did right at the start of the study. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Whoever has a loud voice, if you want to read both those verses. Okay, good. I want us to go ahead and read the other one. Second Peter, I didn't tell you the other one. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. Second Peter 1, 20 to 21. 20 and 21. I'll read it. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So this is one of the biggest things you have to get about the Bible. Is the Bible is not just a book. The Bible, it says, and it gives witness in itself to say, hey, this happened by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
says in Timothy. It says in, in Peter that they were, they were moved or carried along or brought along by the Holy Spirit when they were writing these words. Now, we don't know whether they, you know, totally knew what they were doing. Um, I mean, Paul was writing Timothy, and he wrote that. And he said, hey, all Scripture is, is, is God-breathed. In other words, I mean, it's, it's inspired by God. It's, it has the breath of God. It has the, the life of God on it. And so that means this book is just different than every other book that's ever been written because it's been inspired by God. Um, Second Timothy says, hey, look, it's, it's good for all these things. It's profitable for teaching or instruction, doctrine. Um, it's profitable for reproof, uh, proving, evidence, um, revealing truth, uh, for correction. Uh, so sometimes the Word of God is, is it's one of the good things it does for us is correct us. Um, and instruction or training in righteousness and so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, but we have to understand, you have to approach the Bible as if it's, it's from God. It will, it will change your perspective. If it's just a good book, if it's just a religious text, um, then that's, those are all nice and good. But I can read a religious book by C.S. Lewis or by whoever other, whatever other author I want to read, Max Lucado or... Uh, whoever the famous Bill Johnson or, or somebody else, uh, it's not the same as the Word. Not the same as the Word. It may have something where God gives inspiration. It may have something where the Holy Spirit shows him something, but it doesn't have the same weight and authority of the Word of God because this has been written down and it has been compiled together with people seeking God and saying, hey, this, this, is, the, this is the Word of God. This is the written Word of God. And so every other, every other book that's written about the Word of God or about God or about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, needs to line up with what's already been written. Because there's not going to be something new that God changes His mind and says, hey, that was back then and now you know, we're going we're gonna to do something new. That was just for then and this is for now. No, no. No, it, it has to line up with what God has already said. And so... Um, that brings us to the point of the lordship of, of God's word. Um, you know, Jesus is called the word of God. doesn't mean Jesus is the Bible. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so God had two main ways of communicating. You, you get the idea? Word means, you know, it's like message. It's, it's communication. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a science. And he, here's, here's, I'm going to show you the way. And so God had two ways of showing us the way. One was the word of God, Jesus. He was the living word of God. He was God himself made flesh. And so he's called the word of God. Um, but God had another way. It's called the, the written word of God, where all the stuff, all the history of God at work, all of God's revelation was, was written down uh, over the years. And so here's the deal. If this is from God, then whatever it says, it has to have lordship in my life. It has to have supreme authority in my life. If it doesn't, then I'm just making this another book on the shelf that, you know, I need something good today, God, so I'm just going to open it up. And if it's not good, then I just put it back. Or if I don't agree with it, I just put it back. I do that with other books, don't you? You get a book and you get, you know, have you ever thrown a book across the room? <laughs> I don't like that. 
I don't believe that. Um, and, you know, and here's the deal. Now, God's okay if we do that, but he wants to say, uh-uh, you need to go back and read it again because I've written it down for, you, for your benefit, for your, for, your, for your instruction, for your training in righteousness. And so um, the, word, the Word of God has to have authority in our lives. You know, it's, it's real easy to, for it to be all well and good when we're reading something that's a blessing or a promise or this or that. But what about when God corrects us? Or what about when, when something happens that, you know, we kind of, oh man, I don't really want to do that. I mean, I'm amazed. I mean, there's a lot of, here's one example. There's a lot of, there's a lot of believers, young people that are, some old, young and old, who are like, I'm searching for the person I'm going to marry. And so they meet someone, and here's the deal, they meet someone, they're not a Christian. And so, they, hey, we're, you know, and they begin to date this person, and then they, they want to get married. And they say, you know, God has brought us together. And then if they come to me, here's what they're going to get. They're, I'm going to go, uh, no, let me show you a few scriptures that talks about not being unequally yoked. It's impossible for God to have told you that it's His will for you to get married to this person because they're not a believer in Jesus. Because a believer and an unbeliever are not called to get married. And so, again, but here's what happens is it's all well and good when it's the blessing, but when it's challenging something I want in my life that I'm emotionally attached to in my life, that's where the test is, is God's Word the authority in my life? I mean, all the, all the blessing stuff... I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, we want to receive that, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what about when God says, no, you can't do that? That's when you find out, is the Bible really my authority or am I the authority? Is my interpretation of the Bible my authority or is the Word of God the authority? And so that's where you, you get the test of the, the Lordship. And, uh, you know, Jesus talked about the, the Word being a foundation, which I think is a great picture. Luke 6 you know, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom, whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood rose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, could not shake it. It could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. So here's the deal. When I have the Word of God in my life, I've got a foundation. I've got something that, that there's going to be storms in life. Jesus never, did, never promised that we wouldn't have storms. He never promised that we wouldn't have tribulation. He actually promised that we would. The Bible promises that you're going to go through hard times. It says, hey, this is going to happen to you. You're going to be challenged. You're going to have a trial in your life. You're going to have something very difficult uh, where you feel like you're left alone. It's, it's going to happen. You know, you're going to face that thing. But if the Word of God is your foundation, if you are doing what is said in here, if you're a doer of the Word, not just a hearer only, you've got a foundation that when that storm comes, you're not going to be moved from where you're at. You ever seen somebody who, you know, they're all well and good when it's going good and then something bad happens in their life and they just walk away from God? Here's the deal. They didn't have a foundation. They weren't, they weren't doing what the Word of God said because it says 
if you are doing the things that the Word of God says, you'll be like one built on a rock. So when the storm comes, and it says it's a violent storm. I mean, did you notice that in Luke 6? It's like a vehement, violent... I mean, this is a, this is a serious deal. This is not just a bad day. It's not just a bad week. This is like, hey, this is a, 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 life, a, a life-shocking storm. Um, but the one who's founded on the rock uh, of doing the Word of God is not going to be shaken. He's not going to be pushed out to sea. Um, so the Word is our foundation. Number two, the Word is our weapon. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For the weapons of our warfare, warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every thought, high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So the Word is a weapon to help us fight the battles we're in. Uh, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, when, he was, when Jesus was tempted, what did Jesus answer with? Jesus answered the devil with the Word. What was the Word? It was, he was answering from the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch or the Law. You know, they would refer to it as the Law uh, or the Torah. Uh, he answered from Deuteronomy. When the devil came and tempted him, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Hey, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So our, our sustenance spiritually, the word of God is our food. So if you're not eating the food, you know, you're going to be weak. You're not going to be able to fight very well. You know, if you are eating the word, which is getting God's word in, into your heart, reading the word of God, listening to the word of God, memorizing the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God. Uh, that's, that's your sustenance. I, I mean, we've all done it. Um, we've probably done it in the la- last month. You go a couple days without reading, reading the Bible, reading the Scriptures, what happens? You're just, you're just not as connected to the Lord. You're maybe a little more likely to say something you shouldn't say. Uh, it's, you know, you're weak. You're hungry. You're spiritually hungry. You need to feed yourself. I mean, what happens when I don't eat food physically? I get testy. I get angry. I, you know, I'm, I get headaches. I'm like, well, you know, things annoy me more. You know, my wife isn't as amazing as she once was when I was eating. I mean, you know, all kinds of things. Um, you know, your kids are, man, they're really worse than they are now. I mean, just everything, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm used to eating, and so it affects my, my attitude, my feelings, and my energy level. Same thing spiritually. We have to know that, hey, if I'm spiritually you know, irritated all the time, then am I in the Word? Am I, am I hangry? <laughs> That's good. Am I spiritually hangry? <laughs> I've, got, I've got at least one kid that gets hangry. It's like he starts freaking out when it's about dinner time, and you're just like, I don't even try to stop them. Just like, just eat, just eat, man, just eat. <laughs> Get some food in you. <sighs> and it's all good because he's hangry. So, yeah, we might get spiritually hangry sometimes, I think, because we're not, we're not feeding ourselves the Word. And so, um, you know, the enemy wants to come in in our minds and, and uh, challenge what we believe and put doubts in us. And uh, if we don't know the Word, then we don't know if something's true. And so the Word of God helps us helps us understand, and it helps us change the way we think. You know, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? What is, what is one of the key ways that we renew our minds? What's one of the key ways? Reading the Word. It says in Ephesians 5, it says um, that we are cleansed with the washing of the water of the Word. So if you think of your mind, you know, needing cleansing, needing washed, needing renewing, needing refreshing, how does that happen is by reading the Word of God, by getting the Word of God in me, listening the Word of God, speaking the Word of God. Sometimes it's good to read it out loud. Did you know that? I mean, there's so many different ways to get the Word in you. Um, and I think sometimes if you find yourself getting in a rut, change it up. You know, read it out loud one time. Read it more slowly. Say, I'm going to take just one scripture and I'm going to focus on every word. And I'm going to, I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to, I'm going to, we're talking about meditation now. I'm getting ahead of myself on the notes. That's okay. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to think about it over and over again. I'm going to say what God is saying over and over again. I'm going to repeat it. You know, sometimes just changing up the, the routine can bring some freshness. And so that's just a, hopefully that's a practical tip in, in, in terms of your reading. Hey, listen to it sometimes. If you're an auditory learner, don't, don't be afraid that you're not reading it. Have someone else read it to you. If, you. if you're better at auditory, listen to the Word. Put it on in your car while you're driving. I only got a five-minute drive. Well, you got five minutes of the Word in you. I mean, that's what if you did five minutes a day uh, for a whole week? Let's just say work week. That's, that's almost 30 minutes of the Word extra that you just listen to. So, I mean, there's so many different ways, but that renews our mind. And it says when our minds renew, we know what the will of God is. We recognize that God's will is good, it's, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. There is ignorance also of, of God's word. So, uh, it talks about in Hosea, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh, Ephesians four seventeen and 18 says... Um, Basically, those who don't believe, they are are walking in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Because what? Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. See, there needs to be a a revelation. And so, uh, I I need to have a revelation so that my mind doesn't get dark, so that my mind doesn't doesn't begin to to think of futile things. And... uh, we must not allow ignorance of God's word to exclude us from the life of God, consequently keeping us bound to sin, darkness, misery, and the influence of Satan. And so, you know, God's word, if we don't know what it says, then how are we going to discern truth? How are we going to know what's right and, right and wrong? Um, and so, that's why I say get in the word of God. Um, you know, Psalm 119 has has tons of stuff about the word. A lot of times it uses word. A lot of times it uses the word law. But all of it is a psalm, uh, just expressing the greatness of the of the written word of God. And it has several things in there, uh, as well as some other scriptures that talks about how much of a blessing the word of God is. Uh, famous scripture, Psalm one nineteen one hundred five. I think your word is a light unto my feet and a a lamp unto my feet, ah, thank you, and a light unto my path. 
And so, you know, God's word is a map that guides us safely through life's dark and hazardous roads. I mean, that's, it's, it's a beacon of light. You know, if you're in a dark time, hey, get in the word. Get reading in the word of God and get, shine some light on the situation. I mean, it says in Psalm 119 that the unfolding of his word gives light. You know, so if you're feeling like, man, I'm in a really dark time, get the word out. Read. Speak it. Declare it. Listen to it. Play it. You're like, I can't even say it. I can't even read it. Well, put on the CD or iPhone or Android or whatever you use, iPad, tablet. Put something that can make sound, that can play it, and, and see what happens. See what happens in your life. You know, I know there's, there's some, uh, I don't do this, but it's, it's an idea I've heard from, from other parents, is uh, some of them play the Word of God, uh, at night for their kids. You know, they just put audio on. Um, for some of your kids, they, w- they won't sleep if you got some on. So again, I get that. <laughs> there's, there's one kid I don't want to wake up anyway. And so, uh, I'm like, I'm not playing anything. <laughs> I don't care if it's worship, the word, I don't know. Uh, it's like, don't make any noise. <laughs> You're asleep. We're, we're believing God's going to minister to you. We're going to have to do it during the day. Um, <laughs> So one of the benefits, though, is, is that God uh, lights our way, gives us direction. Uh, Psalm 119 says that the Word makes us wiser than our enemies. Um, in James 1, 21 to 25, it says that uh, it brings stability in our life. Uh, that's the scripture where it says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Um, it says, Be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself going away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, there's law again, and continues in it and is not forgetful and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, here's the deal. Isn't it interesting that it says if you're just... Uh, a hearer of the word and not a doer, if you don't add obedience to the word, you deceive yourself. And I, I think one of the things that happens is when you're just a hearer of the word and you never act on it, you never obey it, you never respond to it, is you just become more religious. That's really what happens is you, you, get, you get really religious because you know all the answers and you know, you know how to point it out in everybody else and say, they should be doing that, they should be doing that. They should be doing that. And you're deceived. You don't even realize that you're not doing any of that stuff that you're pointing out in someone else. I mean, it's how to become a Pharisee, really. I mean, that's exactly what the Pharisees... Did the Pharisees know the written Word of God? Oh, man. I mean, back then, they they usually had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had a, they had a, they had a solid understanding of, of the written word of God. They knew what it said in Isaiah. They knew what it said in Psalms. And then, yet when Jesus showed up, they were deceived. And they were pointing the finger at him. But if they had been being doers of the word, because Jesus later revealed, hey, the, the Pharisees are all, were, were all just a show. In other words, they weren't, they weren't practicing what they preached. 
I mean, they weren't, they weren't obeying exactly what they told other people to obey. I mean, that's how you know you're a Pharisee, if you tell somebody else to do it, but it's not happening in your life. You're just, you just want to point out it for everybody else. And so that's what happens when we're just a hearer of the Word and not a doer. When we begin to read, we have to respond to it, and it says, hey, we're going to be blessed if we do that. There's going to be a blessing that comes as we obey the Word. The Word of God also allows us to live in liberty and power. That's in Psalm 119 as well. Um, makes living sweet and brings a heart of joy. Uh, that's also in Psalm 119, 103, and Jeremiah 15, 16. Love this scripture, Job 23, 12, where Job, not Job, Job. <laughs> I know it looks like Job. 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 <laughs> job. It says Job on my page, though. <laughs> Job said God's word was more important than food for a starving body. That's a huge statement right there. Promises about God's word. His word is settled in heaven forever. It does not and it will not change. His word is truth. God doesn't lie. Here's the deal. Because if this book comes from God, then we can know that God doesn't lie. Now, let me just give you a little practical tip here. There are lies written down in here. Yeah, they're not said by God. So, uh, I mean, so here's the deal. Let me, let me I'll do, do a little high horse. You may do a high horse. You're like, don't do it. My wife's not in here. She's not shaking her head. Here's the deal. Be careful about using stuff like the book of Job. It's written down like, like it was said. But some of that advice is not from God. That's a conversation between Job and his friends and what they told him when his situation was bad. And so you can be, you, you got to be careful because some of the stuff they said is not right. And so, yeah, if someone asks you, it's a trick question. Is there something that's not right in the Bible? Yeah, there is. The devil talks in the Bible. <laughs> in the, but he's in the first book. They're quoting him. God quotes what, what the devil said. And so, you know, there's, there's stuff in here, but it's recorded accurately. And so I have to look at who said this? You know? Some of it's history. And it's saying, hey, here's what the evil king said. Okay, well, I don't, that doesn't, <laughs> that's not something I want to meditate on and get in my heart. No, that's, that's a lie. I mean, that's, that might be something wrong. And so, I don't know, just a practical thing, you know, because we, 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 we're so strong on, hey, this is the word, this is true. That, you know, there are some things that, that are in here. And the book of Job is one big example. But there's times where Satan shows up. Uh, there's times when, when evil people speak, hey, uh, they might be speaking lies. Uh, it's been recorded truly what they did. So, meditating. Here's the next section is meditating on God's Word. Uh, to meditate uh, really means this, to ponder, to imagine, to speak or study. Um, the, the Hebrew word is Hagah. And it even has here on the notes here from Dave, says also the word roar uh, there. You know, so there's like, there's, that's something cool right there. <laughs> there there's, you know, Hebrew is a very pictorial language. It's not like a, this word means just this. It's like, this word is this picture of 
all this amazing stuff. And so uh, when you get to study Hebrew, if you get into it, you can really, you can really find some stuff. But meditating really means just to kind of go over it, to kind of repeat it uh, over and over again in your mind, to, to repeat it out of your mouth, to think about it over and over again, to imagine, you know, oh man, what is God saying in that? So, hey, do you meditate on God's Word? You know, I, I got the reading down. Now let's, now let's also know that one of the tools and blessings God gives to us is, hey, meditating on God's Word. Meditating on God's Word, according to the Scriptures, number one, brings life and health to our body. Hello. That's a good one. So if I'm struggling with, with health in my body, I might want to get the Word and just go over it all day in my mind. When I have free time, I just go to that scripture that maybe the Holy Spirit brings to me or I find in, in, a, in some kind of resource or book, uh, devotional. Uh, number two, it brings strength, stability, productivity, and prosperity to our life. That's from Psalm 1. You know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of, uh, of the wicked and, and who stands in the way of sinner or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. There's that word law again. What is that talking about? The written word of God, the scripture. Uh, at that time, what they have written down was just parts of the Old Testament. But he says, I meditated on it day and night, and then I become fruitful. Then I become a, like a tree planted by waters. I bear fruit. Uh, whatever I do prospers. Man, I want that. Hey, here's how you get that. Meditating on the word of God. That's one of the promises of meditation. Uh, it brings us to the promised land. Joshua 1.8, what they tell Joshua? Hey, what did God tell Joshua? Not they. God told Joshua, hey, here's how you're going to have victory. This book of the law, this book of the law, what was he talking about? The word of God, the scriptures written down at that time, shall not depart from your mouth. <laughs> be careful, meditate on it, and be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So there is also the of knowing it and doing it. Do you notice that even in, in, in back in Joshua? Uh, multiplies you and your children's days, so there's a blessing on your life with meditating in the Word of God. It repels opposition and gives you victory over your enemies. Um, number six, it solidifies authority, dominion, and sonship in our lives. So there's there's like the the you know, who, who we are in Christ gets established partly by the Word of God getting in us. And so, in uh, Deuteronomy 11, you may have read that scripture there where it talks about, uh, you know, in the, old, in the, in the, in the law, in, the, in Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible called the Law, the Torah, Pentateuch, uh, it says, memorize these and think about them. Write down copies and tie them to, the, to your wrist and to your foreheads to help you obey them. I mean, what was the point there? The point was, hey, get it all around you. Uh, the Pharisees missed it. They, used to, they had a box. <laughs> they used to have a, a box and they would tie it around their heads. And it had scriptures written down on a little scroll. And they'd carry it around in their heads. <laughs> That's not what God was saying. He wasn't saying, put a t-shirt on that has the Bible on it. I mean, I'm wearing, the, I'm wearing the scriptures today. That wasn't the point. The point was that it was, it was, it was all around me. In other words, it was close to me. It was, it was in, you know, I was always interacting with it. It wasn't that I just wore it or put it up. It was like, hey, there was interaction going on. Because God, 
he didn't want it to just be postered on the wall. I mean, he, it's, it's great that we got posters and, and pictures and, and all this stuff. But if there's no interaction with my heart, then it doesn't matter. I can be wearing anything on my shirt, you know. And that's kind of what the Pharisees were doing. They were wearing it around, but they weren't doing it. They weren't. I mean, it's just, yeah, I got it here. It's like magic, you know. Uh, the Bible's not magic. It's truth. So, uh, write it down. Teach them to your children. Talk about them all the time. In other words, it's a natural part of life. Uh, you know, you, you're talking about the truth of God, whether you're at home or walking along the road or going to bed at night or getting up in the morning. Write them on your door frames of your houses. That's, that's really good to put Scripture there uh, and let it be something that, you know, God is interacting with you and speaking to you about. Then your descendants will live a long time in the land. You're going to be blessed. In other words, there's a, there's a blessing that happens. And so those of us that have kids, you know, it's, it's good to, hey, get the Word. Figure out how to get the Word interacting. Hey, it's tough. Look, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I've got children. Um, I, I really encourage you, or those of you that have grandchildren, when you're keeping your grandchildren, get out the Bible. I mean, it, kids like reading books. They do. I mean, most kids, most kids, I won't say all kids, I've only had three. <laughs> okay? Most kids really enjoy books. There's lots of great children's Bibles. Man, I've been through the, I've been through four or five, well, I went through four or five children's Bibles with Evan, and now I'm going through it with Kai. And, you know, we're just, we're going through all the Bibles. And, hey, when we're done, we just repeat it again. You know, sometimes he wants a certain story, we'll just read David again. Fine, let's read David and Goliath again. Man, I want the story of David and Goliath. Boom, it's getting in his heart. He's knowing, hey, God is going to fill me with strength. You know, that you know, God fights my battles. I can do amazing things. Whatever the truth is, it's getting in there. And so however you can do that, get it into our children. Uh, let it be something you're talking about. When you're, you know, if you're with your families and you're making a big decision, uh, bring in the Word of God. Bring in why, you know, hey, I, we're, part of the reason we're doing this is because God says this. And then they're like, okay, you're looking to the Word of God for direction. You're looking for the Word of God to be, a, uh, to be like a barometer for you, to, to, to know where, where we should go, to be a, be a compass for you, to... Uh, to be, be your foundation where we don't do anything. If it's not, you know, if God isn't for it, then we're not going to go into that. Um, anyway, that was free. Um, the Bible was called the sword of the Spirit. I've got to get to the next section here. So, you know, in the Ephesians 6, uh, there's only one offensive weapon in the armor of God. There's the helmet of salvation. There's the breastplate. Of righteousness, there's the belt of truth, there's the feet shod with the, you know, basically if you think shoes, it's more than that really, but, you know, the shoes of the gospel, the peace, uh, the shield of faith. Is that all of them? Except for the sword, right? <laughs> and then the sword of the Spirit. Everything else is defensive. Everything else is meant to protect you. There is only one part of the armor of God that is meant to attack with and it's it's the sword of the spirit which is what the word of god and so again our battle is not against flesh and blood but one of the ways we battle is with the word so you have to be declaring the word you have to be speaking the word hebrews 4:12 says the word of god is living and active is sharper than any 
two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In other words, the Word of God gets in there, and it can, it can get into any place and separate anything that needs to be separated. Because there's things that need to be separated in my life where God needs to come in and go, Shh, we're going we're gonna to take this out. Sorry, I just thought of, thought of a funny story. There's a there's a there's a, a a lady. I don't know if you've ever heard of Mariah Woodworth Eder. She was a like a healing evangelist woman back, I think late 1800s, if I'm correct. And she used to she used to take her Bible, and when she was praying for someone, she said, "We're gonna get we're gonna knock that out with the Word of God right now." She <laughs> she whack them with the Bible and pray for them, and they get healed. <laughs> I'm not saying you should do that. I'm not saying you should do that. But it, <laughs> if the Holy Spirit tells you, you know, start on yourself. <laughs> we already kind of talked about this, but the next section was just becoming a doer of God's Word. Um, why does God want us to obey or to do His Word? Um, when we obey God's Word, it first of all establishes that foundation to help us withstand the storms of life. Um, number two is so that we can be the, the family of God. You know, we're, you know, that's, if we're going to be the family of God, we're going to be established by what He's already said and what He's written down. Um, the Word of God, number three, it builds us up. When you obey God's Word, there's, there's, you're being built. You grow. You grow when you obey God's Word. Uh, it gives us an inheritance as sons. Let's us participate, number five, in the divine nature. That's from Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. That's where it uses the word promises. But what are the promises it's referring to right there? It's the promises that are written down in the Bible. And it says, by those, you get to participate in the divine nature. In other words, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see God begin to move in your life. You're going to see the nature and hand and, and work of God. Uh, and number six, becoming a doer of God's word frees us from our evil desires and the corrupt influences of this world. And so the more you get the Word in you, uh, the more you realize, you know, hey, I don't want to be a part of that. And it gets rid of, you know, your desires change, you know. Uh, man, the word, word is so awesome to, to, to get it in you and to do what it says. To me, that's, that's the challenge. It's a challenge for both. Uh, the enemy will do everything he can to get you away from the Bible. I mean, he'll get you busy, even get you busy doing good things. If he can get you away from the Bible, that's one of the, that's one of your key connections. You know, uh, we're going to talk about the other some of the other ones here in just a second. But man, one of our key connections with heaven, with God, with the breath and life of God, is the Scripture, is the Word of God, and so it's just a reminder to all of us. Um, you know, if you need if you need uh, resources, um, we've got a couple different reading plans out there, and I know we've announced those at the start of the year normally, but I think tonight, tonight's a good time. Uh, one that I really recommend is the Forty Days Through the New Testament. If you've never, if you want something a little more intense, uh, it's called B Forty NT. Um, it's just forty days, and you read through the whole New Testament. Uh, it's really not that hard. It's three or four chapters a day. Um, I mean, it's it's a commitment, uh, but you know, as you're you know, you're like, man, I'm already reading this this year. Okay, well, once we're done with the class, <laughs> you 
Start the B40. Uh, if you need another reading plan, uh, there's, there's another one out there that's uh, a chapter a day. Uh, start with something. Start somewhere. You don't have to start with uh, B90X. B90X is reading the whole Bible in 90 days. I don't recommend you start there. I mean, it's just like when you're exercising. I mean, you don't start with a marathon, right? I mean, you don't say, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape, Ronnie. I'm going to go run 28 miles tomorrow. <laughs> like, I'll, let me know where you're running so I can pick you up and take you to the hospital, okay? Because <laughs> I'm not sure how many I'd go, Edie, but it's not 20, 26, 26, 26.2, sorry. I'm not going 26, 28, 22, 20. I mean, it's, not, it's probably not double digits, okay? You're just not going to get there, so don't. Don't try to bite off more than you can chew at first. Don't try to read ten chapters a day. Start with one. One chapter a day can, can really... And, it, and if you want to take a smaller section and you're saying, I want to do it more slowly and, and really get it in me and maybe read it out loud, hey, that's great too. Maybe you only get through the book of, you know... Uh, <laughs> the book of Jude. Well, you can stay a long time in Jude just to read each section. But maybe you get through the book of Ephesians and, or Romans or something and you just slowly go through it and it takes you a few months. But man, what, what if you got the whole book of Ephesians just like really in your heart? And you're like, man, I, I know Ephesians and God's speaking to me through it. And I've, I've got some of it memorized. I'm thinking about it and meditating. You know, that's good. It's, it's not quantity, it's quality. So, I mean, to me, there's don't get locked into a certain way. I mean, if you're... But here's what you need to do. At first, you will have to just discipline yourself. You have to just make it a discipline until it becomes a habit. Because uh, if it's not a habit, then, I mean, we don't do anything. We only do our habits every single day. I mean, I, there's certain things. I do things a certain way. And it depends on your personality, too. If you're a more structured personality like me, you know, it's like every single day, there's certain things I am doing. I'm not talking about reading the Bible. I'm, I mean... <laughs> I'm just talking about just in life. You know, I'm going to do this the same way every single day. And so, how did I get that way? I started a long time ago, and I still do it. So when you start something, it's easier to get in the habit. So uh, you, you, you do have to use some discipline at first. If you've never consistently read the Scriptures, you're going to have to just make yourself do it for a while. And then it become a habit. It becomes something that's just a part of your life, and you'll miss it if you don't do it. You'll go, man, something, something's not right. Well... I wasn't in the Word. And so, then you'll know. So, the Word of God. That is study nine. There's plenty more in there that we, we didn't get to. It's all, all very, very good. Um, the next section, we're going to talk about praise and worship and prayer here for the next, next few minutes. Um, Praise. God created us to declare His praise. That's part part of my purpose. Like, hey, I want to find my purpose in life. Hey, part of my per, part of every single human being's purpose is to praise God. Is to declare His praises. Um, you know, the Psalms say, "Praise Him continually, for this brings God honor." You know, worship is a lifestyle. It says, you know, in, in the New Testament, uh, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What, is, what does that mean? It just means, 
hey, I'm on the altar. All of who I am is an offering to God, is worship to God, is praise to God. And so it, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a certain time uh, that I set aside, although it's good to set aside times to do that, whether that's with all of us together as a gathered church, the gathered people of God, or whether that's on my own. I think that's good. Uh, but there's times where it's just, man, just speak praise to God. Let, let it out. Um, this is not in your book right now what I'm going to give you. Um, so if you want to take notes or if you want a copy, I can, I'll try to get copies of this if you want. Uh, a long time ago, I did, a, I did a teaching on worship and talked about the biblical expressions of worship. And there's, there's 12 biblical expressions of worship. Uh, and I thought I'd just, just kind of share those with you. Um, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's like, if they're breathing, it's meant to, you know, you're meant to praise. You know, you're meant to, so as long as you're alive, <laughs> you're, you're called to praise. You're called to offer thanksgiving to God. But the Bible does have just different expressions of worship. And so uh, we sometimes limit ourselves to just a few of them. Uh, so number one is singing. I think we're all aware of that. That's all through the book of Psalms. It's talking about singing to the Lord. There's the, uh, Ephesians that says, you know, sing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in Ephesians 5. Uh, probably, if you get in church, this is the most familiar form of worship. Singing. Singing. <laughs> Before I got textonized. Singing. So, number two is shouting. Shouting to the Lord with... Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You know, the book of Psalms has that all over. Uh, we can use the example of the book of Joshua. But, uh, you know, part, one way to express praise is shouting. And the reason I'm giving you these is I'm just, I want to expand your grid. So sometimes, you know, feel free to, you know, if you need to do it by yourself at first to where you're comfortable, hey, let out a little bit of shout, not while your kids are sleeping, especially the ones that wake up. But... <laughs> Hallelujah. My wife's like, I don't care what you're, <laughs> you, I don't care if you're praising God or not. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do something to you. Uh, shouting. Number three is lifting our hands. I still remember when I was about, I was going into seventh grade. I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I had the dilemma of in the church gathering was like, Oh, man, what are people going to think if I lift my hands? It's ridiculous. I mean, first of all, and I was even thinking, what are my parents going to think? It, again, it's not logical uh, for me to think that because I'm like thinking, nobody is watching me. Here's the deal. When we gather on Sunday, nobody's watching you. I'm sorry to let you know. I'm sorry to disappoint you. We're not going, hey, how's Katie worshiping? You know, oh, what's she doing? <laughs> You know, we're, we're just not, because, you know, we're, we're looking at him, and so just, just be free. And so there's, I was actually concerned about what my parents thought. My parents raised me to love Jesus. What do you think they're going to think? They're going to be thrilled that I'm raising my hands. Or their eyes were closed, and they'd never even know. <laughs> and so, hey, one way to worship God, just lifting your hands. You don't even have to say anything. Here's the deal. If you're doing it as worship, you don't have to have words with it. Try it sometime without words. We're so used to doing it with words. 
Try it without words. Just as an act of worship. Number four is clapping. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 47.1. I have a bunch of scriptures and I can get them to you later if you're interested. This, this message is still online. Our, our message is on the website uh, if you're interested as well. Called the Worshiping Community. Um, number five is dancing. You're like, oh... Hey, that's one way. Again, this is one you maybe have to try on your own at first. Okay? But dancing is, is one f- expression of worship. Uh, number six is banners. The book of Psalms talks about lifting up our banners unto the Lord. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons we have banners. They're not just for kids. They can be for uh, those who are like a child coming unto God. And so... Oh, that's just that's one biblical way to express your worship. Uh, number seven is bowing or kneeling. In other words, to 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 bow my myself before God. That's all throughout the Psalms. That's in Revelation. Uh, there's lots of places where it talks about that bowing before the Lord. Number eight is instruments. You know, in, the, in uh, Psalm 150, it says, I think we did that, yeah, you did this in the study, what types of instruments were used in praising the Lord? Basically all the ones they had back then. <laughs> you know, we're going to use this, we're going to use that, we're, we're going we're gonna to use that to worship God. Hey, if it's an instrument, it can, it can be praise, it can be worship under God. And so, uh, number nine is art. That's found from the, the creation of the tabernacle in the wilderness. That it says God picked those who were skilled in artistic ability, basically, to weave together all this stuff and to create all this all this beauty. Man, I love. Do you remember that guy we had here? What was his name again? Dennis Dennis Sprick. Uh, we've got his painting out here, and he talked about art and stuff. And you're like, look, not this is one. Not maybe not everybody can do or wants to do in public at least. Um, you know, my art is going to look like a non-artist, but. It's been good for me a few times in my life to say, okay, I'm going to try something. I'm going to try to give something to the Lord through art. I'm not an artist. I'm not going to, it's not going to be my most common form of worship just because it's just, it's just not. It's not who I am. But it's good to try it sometimes. Uh, so, but, but man, there's some that this can totally unlock their worship of God. Where it can totally be a whole new world. Man, we've got, man, we've got kids that are growing up that are, um, that are artists and we need to just empower them to worship with their heart. Don't, don't make them sing. Don't make them clap. Don't make them do all this other stuff. Let them, let them paint and draw. Yeah, that's free. Number 10, singing in tongues. Singing in our spiritual language. That's from 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Ephesians 5, 19. Uh, it just talks about singing in the Spirit. So that's, that's a biblical expression of worship, is singing in the Spirit. Man, if you've ever been in a place, I've been in a large gathering, worship, uh, worship conference, and uh, a very well-known worship leader was, was leading, and uh, he just kind of stopped and just kind of began to let everybody begin to praise God, and the whole room just began to sing in the Spirit. Something like heaven, it's, it just feels like heaven, because... 
you know, and you're like, how does that all go together? I don't know. It just happens because we're all singing in the one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so uh, that's one way to worship God, to praise God. Uh, number 11 is standing. The Bible never depicts anybody worshiping God sitting down. And I'm not telling you, those of you that can't stand for the whole church service or whatever, it's not, we're not, oh, they sat down. Again, nobody's watching you. They sat down. They're not worshiping the right way. I'm just like getting in the Pharisee thing. But in the Bible, one of the expressions is just to stand up in God's presence. Just to, just to you know, just kind of like we honor somebody when, that's important that comes in. That was, you know, they would just stand in the presence of God or stand to worship God. Um, number 12 is silence. Habakkuk 2.20 says, you know, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Sometimes it's just being quiet before God is, is praise and worship. Habakkuk 2.20. That's an awesome one. I love Habakkuk. It's got some cool stuff in it. So go read it. It's only three chapters. <laughs> so... Man, there's, there's, there's so much in praise, but here's the deal. In praise and worship, there's, there's power, you know, all throughout the scriptures. There's power when we do that. And again, those, those are just some ways we can do it. I'm not even saying that's the only way we can do it. I'm saying that's what, that's, those are all expressed in the Bible of ways that people worship God. And so I'm, we cer- certainly should start with them. Uh, but there, there is power in praise. There is power in declaring uh, who God is. Um, you think of the story in the Old Testament. There's a king called Jehoshaphat. And you may have heard this story before, and I know I have. But he's going into battle, and they get a, uh, they get a prophetic word, basically, that says, hey, we need to, you know, they hear from God. And you need to, you need to send the singers out first. I mean, you don't do that. I mean, can you imagine doing that, you know? I mean, in, in the military, guys that have been in the military, it's like, hey, we've we got this operation, and we're just going to send in the people that sing first, okay? And they're going to go out in front of us and <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, we sometimes don't realize how ridiculous what God was saying in the natural looked. I mean, back then, yeah, sure, they had, they had arrows, swords, and spears, and so they're like... Well, they don't have guns, but you know you can you can throw a spear and you can you can run at a singer <laughs> with a sword and go get them right. But God said, "Hey, no, no, send send the singers first, and then just let them begin to worship God. That's how you're going to get the victory." And to me, that is just a huge picture of, of of a spiritual picture for us in our lives. Is a lot of times God wants us to just, "Hey, here's how the victory is going to come." Just begin to praise me. Praise me first. Just begin to declare who I am. And it says, what did they do? They just, they said, pray, you know, they begin to sing the song about, you know, praise the Lord for his, his goodness or his mercy endures forever. And they just begin to say that. And, and it says that God won the victory for them, basically. That he went before them. The battle belongs to the Lord. Sometimes we just need, um, you know, to praise. Sometimes we need to use that weapon that, that God has given us because there is power in it. And so we need to use it. It says in Psalm 149 that, you know, let the high praise of God 
be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand and talks about all the, all the, the submission of our enemies and, and things being destroyed and bound and broken. You know, that's, that, to me, that's just a, a, it's a spiritual scripture for us to say, hey, there's, there's things that happen in the spirit realm when I praise, when I worship God. And I need to respond to it. Hey, it might be just lifting my hands. I may not be saying anything out of my mouth. Maybe I just dance and I don't sing anything. But there's something that happens when it's worship. It's praise unto the Lord. And there's something that's released in the Spirit. Um, One of the things that they highlighted, which I think is important, is they talked about the tabernacle of David. Um, You know, when David... uh, when David set up the tabernacle, it was different than the other tabernacle. You know, there was Moses' tabernacle and there was David's tabernacle. Moses' tabernacle was the one set up in the wilderness and they had the, the ark in the Holy of Holies and they had, you know, the blood sacrifices going on. Um, and so when they came to the promised land, uh, they set that up on a hill uh, in Gibeon, I believe, and uh, that was the, the tabernacle. But in the book of Samuel, it says that they didn't ask God this. They weren't being doers of the word, but they, they were in a battle with their enemies, and they said, hey, let's go get the ark out and put it in, in the battle in front of us. <laughs> wasn't God's idea. What happens? The ark gets stolen by the Philistines, and all kinds of crazy stuff happens to them, and so their gods are no match for the real God, so they send the ark back, and then it ends up in this one guy's house for a while, and he's blessed, and David says, hey, we need to get that ark, and uh, ultimately they... They, they bring it in and there's a huge celebration. Uh, I'm really summarizing quickly. But, um, you know, basically it says David just established this, this, this 24-7 worship. Um, and it's almost like, again, it wasn't the same as Moses' temple. They brought the ark out and they could, they could, they could see it. And they were having worship and praise. Uh, they were having those who were trained to do this, uh, to lead the people and so it was a beautiful picture of the tabernacle of David. And so um, in Acts 2 it says, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. So what, what, is, what is he talking about there? Of course it's not a building. It's saying I want, I want, to, I want the, the 24-7 praise, the, the worship of God to be going on in the people of God. Uh, the book in page 87 in your workbook um, It says this, Under the new covenant, God has completed His work of making a sanctuary so He can dwell in our midst. The blood-washed heart of a redeemed man, woman, or child is now His dwelling place and the throne of God in the earth. He raises up redeemed people in whom He can tabernacle so that all mankind might seek the Lord. That's pretty awesome right there. If you are redeemed, then your heart is God's throne. The tabernacle of David is not some building or place that is going to be erected. Individually, you as a believer, you are the dwelling place of God. Your heart is His tabernacle, His sanctuary. Your body is His temple. In addition, we are all being built together corporately as a dwelling place of God in His Spirit. Your heart is to be continually filled with His praises. Your life is to be a 24-7 Worship unto Him, and so man, it's a beautiful picture, you know, that of God's desire that He wants He wants 
the tabernacle to be established, but he's not looking for a building. He's not looking for a place. Uh, you know, it's, we're, not, we're not trying to get this to be the tabernacle. God's trying to get you to be the tabernacle. He's saying, hey, you're, you're the one where, where my presence is going to be shown. You're, you're the one. And how do I develop that? It's, you know, I'm, I'm inviting God into my life. So he comes, his presence, he becomes, you know, he puts his, his throne in my heart. And so now in my innermost being, God is in charge. He's, he's on, on the throne. And if God is on the throne, what's going to happen around God's throne? When I look in the Bible and I look at God's throne, there's always worship there. There's always worship around God's throne. Whenever you, you get a glimpse of God, that's what's happening. I, told, I was telling somebody, some, uh, one of my kids, uh, probably obviously either Evan or Kai, having this discussion, but I think Evan, you know, like uh, talking about heaven or somehow we got on this, we read something, and I said, well, man, there's gonna be, we're just going to be worshiping all the time. And he's like, what? <laughs> that's a long time. Isn't there anything else to do? <laughs> you know, but here's the deal. When you get a revelation of God... Uh, you're going to worship. You're going to be drawn to worship Him. You're like, oh, I can never, I can never do that this long on earth. Well, that's that may be true, but in heaven it's not going to be a problem because God's throne is going to be there. And so, when in my heart, when I turn towards Him, and I, you know, it's like there's a revelation. Boom, the throne of God is there in my heart. I'm drawn to worship. I'm drawn to praise. Um, You know, the, I think it's interesting. It talks about the last days. In the last days, this will happen. Just remember that we're in the last days, not because we're in 2017, that uh, the last days started after the day of Pentecost. That's when it said the last days started. So anybody who says we're in the last days, they're correct. <laughs> this is the last days. Uh, anybody who says, I know the date that Jesus is returning, uh, no. <laughs> is that coming up this weekend? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't think anybody does. That's, it. That's what the Bible says. No one knows the day or the hour. It said that Jesus, at least on earth, didn't know. I don't know if he knows in heaven or not. It doesn't say. But, yeah, only the Father knows. So, unless they're the Father God, they don't know. <laughs> so, just that's free too. Let's close with a section on prayer. Uh, man, we're just going to really—we're going to really just highlight prayer tonight. And so I encourage you to do your homework and dig into these scriptures. Um, man, Dave, I got through—I got through uh, the Bible, the Word, and and, and praise. And uh, here's the deal: God, because God's throne is in our heart, prayer is something that can happen very intimately and closely with us. That we're not—we're not—we're not. We're not, we're not trying to get somewhere where he's not. He's already here. And so it says in the book of Ephesians that we're seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. We didn't do a sign-in sheet, thanks. Um, <laughs> we're seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. So if spiritually I'm sitting with Jesus, how close am I to Father God? Well, real close because it says Jesus is sitting right next to him. So that means prayer is simply turning my head spiritually. I'm right there and speaking to God, listening to Him. Hey, why can, why, why can we hear God? Yeah, the Holy Spirit is in us, but man, spiritually, we're right there with Him. 
we're real close to him spiritually. So it, it doesn't have to be hard for me to hear God because I'm, I'm right next to him in, this, in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm. Somehow, however that happens, it says it's true in, in the Bible. And so I believe it. Um, there's some great stuff here. It says uh, some prayer no-nos. Uh, it starts off with... Uh, uh, Jesus talks about, hey, don't, don't just babble on in prayer. Don't just repeat something. And that's not saying you can't say some of the same things when you pray. It's just saying don't make it a, just a, a, a vain repetition, just, a, just something you, you spit out of your mouth and it doesn't mean anything from your heart. I mean, because that's what was happening. It's like, we're just going to let that happen. Let it be something that comes from your heart and goes in, into God's heart. And then what happens in prayer is he takes what's in his heart and then communicates it back with us. I mean, that's really what prayer is. It's my heart to God and God's heart to me. And so I don't want to use meaning, just, you know, I don't want to just use a formula. It doesn't mean I can't use written prayers. I'm not, that's not what it's talking about. It's just talking about where it becomes like my, my heart isn't in it. There's no life in it. Uh, it says don't seek an audience when you pray. I don't think any of us are going to do that. Hey, come hear me pray. <laughs> I'm about to pray. Everybody listen. <laughs> but apparently that's what the Pharisees were doing back then. Was kind of, you know, it, was, it kind of became a little bit of a show. And so Jesus, Jesus came on the scene and said, Hey, this isn't, this isn't what prayer is about. It's, it's not for someone else to hear you. It's for you to hear God and God to hear you. And so God promises our prayers, Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, I see those as three different forms of prayer. You know, asking has to do with our needs being met with what, you know, what we need in my life. Seeking God, that, that's about knowing Him. That's about knowing God more. It's not, it's not so much about getting something. It's, it's getting to know Him. Uh, and knocking, man, what's that? That's direction, man. That's, that's, that's guidance. That's, uh, where, where is God leading me? That's, that's breakthrough. Um, knocking on the doors, but God says, hey, ask, ask, seek, and knock. Uh, you'll receive, um, you'll find, and the door will be open to you. So those are, that's the promise of God. Uh, God already knows our needs. Uh, He's promised to give good things to those who ask. God delights in our prayers. Uh, I do want to, Focus on this one last part. There are some hindrances to answered prayer that the Scripture has that I think are very important. And so I'll probably close uh, close with this section. I'll close, and maybe one more here. So number one is unforgiveness. It says in Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. Man, if you're having a hard time praying, just Say, Lord, is there someone I need to forgive? You might already know. You know I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a hindrance to prayer just because it's like you got, you know, what did Jesus say? Hey, if you come to the altar and you have something to get, you know, your brother has something against you, hey, go make it right with your brother. Go take care of that first. Don't come, come bring this offering to me uh, with something in your heart or this thing with, with, between you and your brother or your sister. Hey, go take care of that first. Then bring your offering. Uh, so that's a hindrance to answered prayer. Another hindrance is unbelief. In the book of James it says, you, you know, whatever you ask, believe that you've received them. Uh, or wait, don't doubt in your heart. 
because the one who doubts is, is double-minded. And so uh, Jesus said, believe that you've received the things you asked for and you'll have them. So there's faith is, is, is one of the keys to prayer. There has to be faith in prayer. You've got to be trusting that God will do what he says he will do. Um, James 4 says sometimes we don't, we don't have our, our answered prayers because we don't even ask. You have not because you ask not. That's the old King James. That I've heard that so many times in my life, I know it. Uh, you, you, know, you, you, you don't have because you don't even ask. And then it says, or wrong motives. But when you do ask, you're asking for the wrong reasons. And so God's, God's good. And so you, if you're asking for something for the wrong reasons, He's going to say no. He has to say no because He's good. He can't give you any other answer. Um, Psalm 66 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So, if, man, if I'm holding on to something that I know God is uh, not pleased with, I mean, it's going it's to hinder the, the interaction, the relationship there with Him. Uh, it's going to hinder my prayers. And number five is this. It's only to men. All you ladies are like, whew. 1 Peter 3.7 says this, Husbands, and actually only married men, so if you're single, you're all good. <laughs> so, husbands, likewise, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So in other words, as I am not treating my wife and honoring my wife in the right way, uh, my prayers could be hindered. Man, is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's in the Bible. And you're like, well, Lord, why, why isn't there one for wives? I don't know, but he, <laughs> he didn't put one in there for some reason. So, you I'm not, I, I want all your prayers to be answered. So. so, those are things that can hinder it, husbands. Um, to summarize the last section, a disciplined prayer life consists of this. Beginning each day in prayer. What does that mean? Hey, when you get up, turn your heart towards the Lord. It doesn't have to be long, but just... You can acknowledge God right, right when you wake up. That's prayer. <laughs> Good morning, Holy Spirit. Boom, you've prayed. I'm not saying you should stop there, but I'm also saying, hey, it's, it's just a good practice to start in the morning. That's Psalm 5. It talks about, talks about the morning time. Um, number two is, is fasting is, is something to, to make a part of your prayer life. So if you've never fasted, then that's something I, I encourage to do. Uh, there is, we do have a little pamphlet on fasting if you want to want to dig into that a little bit more. You've never done that. Um, praying corporately with other believers regularly. Um, you know, Jesus said, "Hey, if two or three of you on earth agree on anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven." So there's something that happens when we pray together and we're in agreement. And so we need to, you know, we need to keep doing that. Um, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us in prayer. Um, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray sometimes when I don't know what to pray. Romans eight twenty six and 27 says he knows, what, he knows what the will of God is. He makes intercession for us um, with groanings that words cannot express. Um, praying with a purpose. This is great. 1 Timothy 2 says it gives us kind of a, a, an outline for prayer. Hey, here's what you should do. First, 
uh, first pray for for kings and for all who are in authority. Um, you know, so there's there's something to having some intentionality in your prayers. In other words, um, you know, setting certain things aside to say, "Hey, I'm going to pray for this." Uh, that's a good thing to have. However, you need to put that before yourself. Uh, praying for those in authority is is absolutely essential. Uh, maybe that's you know, there's there's all kinds of authorities in our lives. We can pray for our president. Our president needs prayer. Our leaders need prayer. Our governor needs prayer. Uh, you know, but your boss is in authority too at your workplace. So pray for your boss. Uh, pray for your pray for your parents. Pray for you know who, whoever has been an authority in your life. You know whoever's you know lift up those. And it says that something happens. You know we we may lead a quiet life and a peaceful life and godliness and reverence. Um, that God desires everyone to be saved. And so, hey, part of that desire happens when we pray. And then, of course, it, uh, it says in the Bible, hey, pray without ceasing. And we talked about that a little bit uh, a couple months ago, probably, in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Um, to me, that's just the open line of communication with God, 24-7. doesn't mean I'm sitting there praying all the time. Honey, I can't talk to you right now. I can't listen. The Bible said I need to pray all the time. <laughs> Don't try that at home, man. <laughs> Not going to work. So, uh, it's about an open line of communication. So, man, in the morning, man, I'm not even good at this. I'm, that morning thing is, is like speaking to me right now because sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I got to get the kids' lunches ready and all this stuff. And it's a good reminder to discipline myself to say, you know what, I want to wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Uh, and then, good morning, Airely. Uh, <laughs> thanks for waking me up. Um, <laughs> Holy Spirit, thank you for your blessing on my life, even though you, I've been robbed of sleep. But, and you will restore all things unto me. So, man, the word, worship, and prayer. Man, those are three of our connections with God. And so the enemy wants to sever those connections of life and victory. Because, man, the Word of God talks about, you know, we live by the Word, we get victory. Our praise is victory. And our, by our prayers, we get victory. Uh, man, that's three, three ways of victory that God has given us. And so if I'm living in defeat, then I, I can go back and say, here's three ways I can get victory. The Word of God, praise, worship, and prayer. So, amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for all that you've shared in us. And thank you for all the scriptures that we're reading in our homes, in our workplaces. Uh, Lord, wherever we're at, if we're out in, the, out in the field working, just that we're open in the Word of God. And so we, we thank you for speaking to us, Lord, in our beds. Uh, Lord, wherever we're doing this, we, we thank you for the foundation that's being laid. We thank you for the gift of the Word of God. This is a gift to us. Help me treat it like a gift, Lord. Help us all treat it like a gift. Let us not take for granted that you have, you have written down the very words that you want us to know. You've written down the revelation of who you are, God, that we, the unfolding of these words gives light, gives, gives light to us and, and life and peace and joy and, uh, Lord, the ability to overcome. And so we thank you for that. We, choose to, we just choose to have our lives where you're on the throne 
Lord, we, and if you're on the throne, Lord, we're going to have that worship going. And so we thank you for that 24-7, Lord. May we truly be tabernacles of David that draw people to you, draw people to your presence to worship you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 11 and 12 next week. 11 and 12.